0: You think about um, some of us, our, our response is, man, that book scares us, okay? It's kind of just a, it's a scary response because it's like, man, there's stuff. It's talking about weird stuff in there. It's talking about all kinds of things that I just can't comprehend with my own mind. And then some of us, others are like, well, I just don't want to read it. I don't have time for it. While others of us, you love the Word of God. You spend time in the Word of God on a regular and on a constant basis and everything and, and so there's kind of a wide range of reaction and a wide range of response whenever it comes to the Word of God. Um, but this morning, we're going to be talking about the fact of how it applies to our life, why it applies to our life, kind of what it is, um, but also, and then kind of our response. Because here's where I think a lot of us are, um, and where I see kind of on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and everything. A lot of us, we say that, yes, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And a lot of us sit back and we say that, Yeah, I I accept what the Bible says and I try to live it out and everything. But then others are are kind of on the flip side of the coin and we're sitting there and our response is, okay, that's what God says, but I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. And so there's kind of a response of saying that, yes, I believe that maybe God did give us a book and I believe in God, but I'm not going to listen to God because I know better than what God does for my own life. And so I think that's kind of where some of the responses are whenever it comes to the Word of God. But whenever it comes to the Bible, it's really an incredible book whenever you think about the story of how it was put, to, put together and really how the Word came about. Because um, the whole storyline is about one subject, and that, story, that subject is of Jesus. But the, book, the Bible took over 1,400 years to compile, and with about 40 different authors taking place to write this one book with one subject, and it all flows seamlessly to, seamlessly together, pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. And whenever you think about the coming of Jesus, it's like, okay, why is that so important outside of my salvation? Here's the thing right here. We needed redemption from our sins. All of us need redemption from our sins. And God gave the Bible so that we would be able to know the redemption of our sins. Now, you may ask, well, why do we need the Bible? What is the purpose of the Bible? Well, here's where it comes down to. Nature can only show so much about God. Nature in all of its beauty... In all of its majesty, whether you love the beach, whether you love going to the mountains, whether you love just going out to the desert, wherever you find really just your favorite spot in nature and everything, nature is only able to show you so much as a point of to a creator. It's able to point you to a creator. But God said, here's your general revelation, but here's your special revelation in revealing the fact that I have put together a plan in order for us to be redeemed, in order for us to be able to have a personal and thriving and vibrant relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the sin, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so that's where we find these verses And Paul is writing to Timothy, who is, he's kind of shepherding along um, as a young pastor and kind of guiding, guiding him along in the faith and everything. And so Paul comes along and he starts, he's kind of closing out, getting ready to work into the final stages of the book. But he says this phrase, all scripture is breathed out by God. What is scripture and why do we have this? The whole point of what is Scripture is the fact that Paul, while he was writing this, he was most likely looking towards the Old Testament. He was writing about the Old Testament, that from Genesis to Malachi and all of the books in between, they were God's Word. But it's also an understanding principle here that it's also including of the New Testament because during that time period, the New Testament canon was being written and the New Testament was kind of um, kind of growing and some of the books were already being accepted as a part of the New Testament canon, Paul understood the fact that what he was writing in some of his writings was the Word of God because God, the Holy Spirit, was inspiring him um, to write this. And so the whole, all of Scriptures encompasses from now, from Genesis to Revela- Revelation. And whenever you look at all the scripture, it's pretty incredible because even whenever you look at the book of Job, whenever it's known, most likely the earliest book of the Bible written, that some people even argue that it was possibly even edited by Moses, that it's a pretty incredible book that you, you look at and you still see and you're still able to see a picture that Jesus is in there and, it, and it's about the coming of a Messiah and it's about the coming of redeeming of mankind. And so, there is a what that Paul is um, writing about, the what of all of Scripture, but the whole point of why that we have the Scripture is the fact that God—it it is God's purpose for giving us a book to show us His plan for redemption. And you say, why do we need this? Why do we need to know a plan of redemption? From the very beginning of time, whenever Adam and Eve fell, whenever sin was first brought into the world, whenever they were... Deceived by the serpent. What happened was it made a clear distinction that they could no longer have fellowship with God who they had been previously walking through the Garden of Eden with, communicating with God on a regular basis. But now that relationship was over and that relationship was divided all because of sin. Because here's the thing right here. God's nature, because of His holiness, no sin can come into His presence. He cannot be around any sin because of His holiness. And so it takes a blood sacrifice in order for our sins to be atoned for. In the Old Testament, they had the entire um, the, the law in which the law's purpose was to show them of their sinfulness. And the law's purpose was to show them of their need for a Savior, which instituted um, the atoning sacrifices in the Temple Mount. But imagine the fact, during the temple, all of this blood, all of these animals were slaughtered and just blood was flowing. And it was just kind of a, a temporary appeasing of God's wrath of sin on, our lives, on their lives. But what happened was it took one sacrifice because God was orchestrating His plan for the redemption of mankind because only one person could ever fulfill that sacrifice that we needed in order that we could have a relationship with God. And that was through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he gives us this picture throughout all of Scripture that the reason why he gave it to us was to point out for a redemption and to point out the fact of our need for a Savior. And so you may be sitting, say, okay, well, that's neat. Well, how do we know that these writings are actually um, truly the words of God? Because you've got all these different books. There's several other books that claim to be additions onto Scripture, or actually a writing to kind of just to go along with it. And so you've got these other religions who say, "Hey, look, Bible doesn't give you everything that you need. So we're going to add on something to this." And let me, let me take a side to there are There's two things whenever, where people are able to get confused on and where people are able to be led astray on. Number one is whenever a group comes along and they stop denying that Jesus Christ is both 100%, and 100%, 100% God and 100% man, then they're, they're wrong. Okay, because they're going to either try to get you with who Jesus is or they're going to try to get you with the fact that you need to add something on to the Word of God. But clearly, Scripture right here, it is from God, it has origins of God, and God gave it clearly through the authors throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Whenever He says right here that it's breathed out, some of your translations, they may say inspired, that it's inspired by God. Paul is actually using a term that he most likely coined during this time period because whenever you look at both Greek classical writings during this time period, and also you look throughout all of the rest of the New Testament, this phrase cannot be found. It's a Greek phrase that you put together the word God, and you put together breathe out. And so you literally have this phrase that says that God breathed it out to the authors as if it is coming out to his nostrils and coming upon them, and they are writing down the words of God. But there's a couple things with this with this whole idea. Now, now, where we believe in the inspiration lies is the fact that did the author's personalities and their backgrounds come through? Absolutely. Whenever you look at the writings of Paul, can't you just picture his personality, kind of a high-stress, high-strung um, type of individual that everything has got to be completely in order? If not, then he is just going to be... If you say one thing wrong, then it's going to be completely stressed out and he's going to talk to you about it. Then you've got Peter who as Peter's walking along, Peter says some of the craziest things. And what's even more funny is whenever you've got a... It's not funny, but you've got a confrontation that takes place between Peter and Paul because of something that Peter did and everything. And so you're able to see, see errors that they make as well in this. So you're able to see some of their personalities. You're able to kind of picture Luke as a doctor as he's coming out onto the scene and everything. And so you're able to see their personalities come out. But not only are you able to see their personalities come out, another question that could be asked is the fact well, did God just make them, did God dictate dictate to them kind of where they were just writing like robots out the Word of God? No, it was not a picture uh, that they were kind of in a trance and they were just writing exactly what God was, was saying to them. But it is a belief in the simplest forms that God the Holy Spirit inspired not just the thought of Scripture but also the very details and exact words that were perfectly recorded for us as Scripture. It is a picture that the words that we have in Scripture are exactly the words that God intended in the original language. It is a picture that God knew exactly what He was doing whenever He was putting this together. Why not Paul coin a phrase that says, God breathed out? How incredible of a thought is it that as they were sitting there writing, that they knew that they were writing the the words of God down, but those words of God applied just as much to us today as they did to them 2,000 years ago. In this story, a picture of redemption, God knew exactly every little word to write down and to put down just so that we would have what we needed to know about who Jesus Christ is, how He is the Son of God, how He came and He died on the cross for each and every one of us, because God desires all of us to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. But not only the fact are we able to look at the fact of how God gave us this book, and that it's His plan for redemption, and it shows us His plan for redemption, but we're also able to see that whenever we take the Holy Scriptures and we take the Word of God and we pour it into our lives whenever we meditate on it, what happens is God makes us more and more like Christ. The Holy Spirit uses the words of God to make us more and more like Christ. If you look right here in verse, um, into verse 16 and it says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this whole idea of profitable, now we all, that if you, in your 401k, it is good for your 401k to be profitable, right? It's okay to say amen with that. We all want want things to be profitable for us, kind of monetarily and stuff. It's the same way. A lot of us, we go to the gym, and whenever we go to the gym, it's profitable whenever we spend that 30 minutes on the um, elliptical or in the um, weight room weight room, because what ends up is we end up ma- being made more and better, healthier physically. But here's the thing right here. All the things that are looked at as profitable for us kind of in the physical, in the worldly realm right here, here's what happens when all of this stuff dies. Either your family gets mad and starts fighting with each other and they tear each other apart or it's all burned up and lost, Right? And so here's the thing with this physical stuff. It's all gone. Whenever you die, you're not worried about it anymore. But here's the thing with the profitable, with with the Word of God. The profit profit for it comes throughout all eternity. It is not just something that makes a difference here in our lives today. It's not just something that's going to make a difference in our family's life. It's not something that's going to make a difference... Just in the weeks and the months and the years to come. But here's the thing right here. We are made, whenever we're made more and more and more like Christ, man, that impacts us for eternity. And you're able to impact other people's lives for eternity because of the power of the Holy Spirit working it out in your life. It's not you doing it while you have to put in the time, you have to put in the energy, but it's not you doing it. Ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit that is working it out in your life. Because if you ever get to a place where it's just you doing it and you memorizing all these scriptures and you trying to maintain the law and you trying to maintain every little thing that God says, what has happened to you is you have turned into a Pharisee and your heart is so far from God... Your heart is cold towards God. And what ends up it ends up being based upon your works and what you've done instead of what God has done through your life and what God has completed in in your life. But the way that it is profitable, it says that it's profitable here, that it's for teaching. It's where we get our doctrine from. We don't need to get our doctrine from any other thing. We don't need to get to get our teaching from other sources. The doctrine and the teaching that we have is right here in the Word of God. This is sufficient for everything that we need to know in regards to, to, to the teachings of God and knowing what we have uh, and knowing what we know about God. Now, is it completely exhaustive on every little thing about God? Absolutely not. There's debate on end times. There's debate on, on all kinds of different things. And God left those things kind of in, hidden from us while we try to interpret them, but that's okay because God has given to us everything that is sufficient and everything that we need for the teaching. And let me, let me say this also. If anyone comes to you and says, well, I, I've received word from God or I've got a new vision from God, be very, very careful. Because if they come, especially what's funny is they, they a lot of times have new visions and new teachings for your own life. Why didn't God tell you in the first place? So be very, very careful for these other winds and other doctrines that may come about. But it's also not only for our doctrine, but it says that it is, um, it's for reproof. Now, growing up, how many of y'all just absolutely got your tails tore up? Amen? Huh? <laughs> but here's the thing right here. Those times that your parents, they come in and you're just like, I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done that. It, it reminds me, there was just one Christmas that I guess I was like nine or ten years old, and I've got an older sister and a younger sister. And um, the way that the operation went down between me and my sisters was my younger sister, she was kind of clueless. She didn't know what was going on. Kind of between me and my older sister, I was the brains of the operation, and she carried out the operation. Well, here's the thing. We were, um, we were sitting there at Christmas and everything. My parents had gone. They had left us. We were old enough to be left alone, and we lived out in the, um, out in the country and stuff. And so um, my sister, well, I was kind of like, I don't even know why I was back in my parents' room and everything, and I come out, and I find a big black trash bag, and I'm just like, what is all this right here? So I open it up, and I'm like, presents, Christmas presents. Well, um, I go, and I tell my older sister. You know, my older sister's like, why don't we get into them? Okay, why don't we look at them? And so I'm like, why don't we see what we're getting for Christmas and everything? And so we open the presents up, we look, and it's the year that the Nintendo, the first Nintendo came out. So, you know, that was the big gift to get that Christmas and all. Well, we get it out and we're just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be a great Christmas. Well, we wrap everything back up. Supposedly, my sister should have done a better job at this. So we... um we get them put back and everything. We're, in the, we're, we're good. You know, my parents don't find out. My mom gets the Christmas presents out Christmas morning. She takes a look at that one box. And she stops. And she looks up at us. And at that point, I was just like, ah. She's like, y'all been in these Christmas presents. And I was like, she did it. You know, and she's like, well, it was your idea. Well, here's the thing right here. That Christmas morning was not a joyful Christmas morning. We got reproved by my parents, okay? So it it is this picture of reproving that, that really whenever God just shows us where our mistakes are. God exposes the errors in our private lives and God exposes the error in our doctrine. But God doesn't leave us right there of just exposing us where we're wrong and showing us where we're wrong. It's also a picture of correction. And this is a picture of a positive way of a loving correction that God just gravitates our hearts and kind of God moves us closer and more in line with who He is and kind of His plans and His desires. And and not only in our doctrine, but also how we should live our private lives and and how we walk through life on a day-to-day basis and everything. And this whole idea of correction is really beautiful because, you know, even as parents, you know, as parents, you know, there are times, you know, we were we reprove our children. Now, some of you parents who who kids are now older and are out of the house, some of you may still want to reprove your children, you know. And uh, but then there's also this idea of of a loving correction as well. Whenever you gravitate them and kind of change their heart, kind of in a path of where where that it should be. But it's for reproof, for correction, for teaching, and for training in righteousness. You know, one of the cool things about whenever you train somebody, whenever you train them, you walk alongside of them and you show them the right way to do things. Um, Whenever I was, um, whenever, one of my key things, whenever I was working for um, Harris Cedar, was the fact I was in charge of all of the training of the people and everything. Now, one of the cool things about training is that sometimes people are clueless. Okay. Now I'm not talking about anybody I ever trained. But what I am talking about, sometimes you look at people and you're just like, yeah, you're not going to get this, are you? And yeah, you need a little bit more help. But then there's this other idea with training that people, it just kind of clicks with them. They just kind of, they get it right off the start. Whenever we train, we are being trained for righteousness, the Word of God walks along inside of our life. The Holy Spirit moves inside of our life and it shows us it is a practical way of how we should live our lives, of the way that we should live out our marriages, the way that we should live out our personal life and in our business dealings. It's also a way that we're able to just to guide our children, to teach our children, to model our children. It's also a way that we're able to, um, to come at church on Sundays and, and Wednesdays or be in a small group and everything. And in this training, then we're able to, to walk with other believers as the Holy Spirit has kind of worked with us And then we know, we understand how we're supposed to live our life. And it's all because of the Word of God. It's not because of anything that we do, but it's all because of the Word of God in our life and and working out in our life. The final thing that it says here is the fact that it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You look at this phrase And what we're able to see is that the Scripture, when it saturates our lives, we've got everything we need in what we believe and how we live our lives. We've got everything that we need. We don't need anything else. But you see a picture here of a man of God, but it also applies to women of God. People who have been transformed by the power of the gospel, people who have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been transformed so that you'll be made complete and equipped for every good work. You know, one really incredibly just, almost to a point, just it's an exciting fact about being made complete. We're not going to be made complete here on this earth here we're, we're going to be hungry. We're going to be craving the, just this completion of our, of our body, completion of our soul, and that's not going to take place until we reach eternity and we're with Jesus Christ. But this whole idea of being made complete is that you're not striving for anything else. You don't need anything else. Once something is complete, it's finished. It's done. There's nothing else that, that, that you can do. So our ultimate completion is one day whenever we meet Jesus. But still today, we are striving for completion. We are striving that the Holy Spirit makes us more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. And you know why? So that we can be equipped for every good work. Think about this. Whenever you have a job to do, say you like gardening, is it hard to garden a five-acre plot of land with a weed eater? Or to cut the grass with a weed eater? Is it hard to make a garden with just a hoe and you're looking at about five to ten acres and you've got one hoe and you've got to go up and down to make a garden? Is that hard? Those are tasks that you're just like, ah, if I only had the right tools... If I only had the right um, things in order to get the job done. One of the things, even from whether you're, whether you're building, whether you're at work every day, whether you're, you're raising your children, whether you're whenever you're walking through life with your spouse, whatever you're doing, we've got to have the right tools. We've got to have the right abilities, abilities to be able to kind of complete the task. Well, here's the thing right here. We're made complete when this book is poured into our life and the Holy Spirit works in us. We're equipped through this book right here. This book equips us and gives us the tools that we need in order to succeed and be able to walk closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working working itself out through us. And what it looks out like to the rest of the world, to those who are non-believers, is that we are looked upon as blameless because of the transformation power of God. Are we still going to sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are we still going to mess up? Absolutely. But what happens is, they don't stick to us. We're we're made blameless by Christ. And the good work is living out our life with the gospel. And others may see the gospel throughout our lives. But there there may be things though that you're like, well, Scripture silent on. Yeah, you're right about that. Maybe God didn't see it as essential for us to need to know. Maybe it's okay that God is silent on things. But then there are other times, whenever it comes down to Scripture, that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and apply the universal commands of Scripture in particular situations if we can't find an answer in Scripture. The Holy Spirit will lead us and the Holy Spirit will guide us on how we live out our life, even on things that we may think that Scripture is silent on. But it all goes to the Holy Spirit's leading. And the more that we pour into this Word, and the more that this Word is saturated in our lives, the more and more and more like Jesus Christ we become. But here's the deal right here. I got close quarters this morning. But here's the deal right here. So where do we go from here, and what do we do, do with this? Because you see the passage, you see what the passage is saying, and you see what it does for us and everything. But what do we do and where do we go? Number one, I think a lot of us, we have got to put a higher value on the Word of God in our life. We have got to treasure the Word of God. We cannot get to a place in our lives where we believe that our own reason and our own authority in our own life trumps what the Word of God says in situations. This church has a very high view of Scripture. Look at our doctrine. Look at our statement of faith. But the question is, do you have a high view of Scripture whenever it comes to being applied to your life? Or do you think that you can figure it out without God and figure things out on your own? Jerome, an ancient church father, says this, I beg you, my dear brother, to live among these books, to meditate upon them, to know nothing else, To seek nothing else. Does not such a life seem to you a foretaste of heaven here on earth? We want a heaven here on earth? Government programs aren't going to do it. Our own reasoning for having a happy life isn't going to do it. If we want a taste of what heaven may come close to resembling, it's in here. It is in this book. It is in reading it. It is in learning how to study it. Learning how to to just walk through it. But here's the thing right here. You can have all the tools in the world that you want to. You can have all the tools necessary in order to cut that grass or to make that garden. But if you don't take the initiative and get out there yourself, then what's going to happen is you're not going to be any better off and things are just going to get worse right there. The initiative, we've got to have an initiative with the Word of God ourselves. You know, one of the things... I can brag, and I love to brag on this church because I believe by far we are the best church in this county. We are the greatest church in this state right here. I love Celebration Baptist Church, but number one, it's not about celebration. It's about Jesus Christ, and it's about building the kingdom of God. But here's one of the cool things about that celebration that we have here. You may have seen like in the bulletin or on a slide or one-on-one discipleship. If you want to know how to study the Word of God, if you want to know how to walk through Scripture, if you want to know just a the basic theology of what, what, what are our beliefs and everything, then the one-on-one discipleship, that's where, where we start. It's like we have the tools right here for you, but the problem is you have to make the initiative, and you have to get up, and you have to do, do things yourself. Because if your spiritual nourishment is only coming once a week, there's malnourishment there. And you're suffering for the kingdom of God. And, so, and God cannot use you to, to His full capacity. Because here's the thing right here. We take, we, some of us take so much care on our bodies. We, do, we eat the right foods. We, get, we spend so much time in that gym. Some of us take so much care over watching our retirement accounts just to make sure we'll have enough whenever we retire. Others of us do, try to do the exact same thing with raising our kids, making sure that they, they are, they're provided for, they have nice clothes, that they're going to have a college fund. We do all of this stuff to try to take care of the physical realm of things right here. But do you care for your same soul in the same manner that you do for everything else? Do you care for your children's souls in the same manner that you care about putting food on the table and, and caring for their goods, and caring for their clothing and all that kind of thing? And so here's the key. We've got to have a greater treasure for the Word of God. We've got to have a greater love for the Word of God to want to know it. Because whenever we have a love for Jesus and our love for Jesus grows, we have a greater love for the Word of God. And so not only treasuring the Word of God, we've got to treasure Jesus. Reflect back on what the cross has done for you. If you have not experienced salvation, there will be a time for you to respond if God's calling you to salvation to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Treasure Jesus. Look back at where you were and where you are now. Do you have a love for Jesus? Some of us need to start with just cultivating that love for Jesus. Growing that love for Jesus because here's the thing right here. You can take all the steps necessary in the world to make things better. But the love of Jesus trumps. And the love of Jesus allows us to grow. Another thing is the fact that we need to trust God in the hard areas. There may be areas of Scripture that we struggle with and areas of Scripture that we're just sitting back and we're like... I don't quite agree with what God is saying. Ask God to show you. Trust God. Those areas where you know that your life is not completely lined up with what the Word of God says, ask God to show you. Ask the Holy Spirit to move you. Allow Scripture to penetrate your heart. But at the same time, don't ever get to the place where you believe that you're right over God. We're never right over God. But not only trust God in the hard areas, we need to trust God when we're in the hard places. Whenever we're in those hard places and we don't see an answer, trust God. Trust what Scripture says. But I think it's in those times that we just, more than anything whenever we look to the Psalms and we see God working and God allows us to give us comfort, even whenever things don't go exactly how we want them to. But then I think in closing, I think some of us this morning, in all honesty, we need to repent. We honestly, and this includes starting with myself, that we need to ask God to forgive us of how we handle the Word of God. It's his book to us. It's his word to us that clearly and completely points to Jesus Christ. And we need to repent on how little time that we spend with him through it. And we need to repent of the fact that we don't want to apply the principles to our lives, that we're just happy with the way things are and we're just moving through the motions. But some of you if God is calling you to salvation, to repent and believe, we're going to be down here this morning and respond. But for everyone else, the altars are open. If you just need to come down front and just spend time with God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, um, I thank you for your word. and. Um, Lord, as Romans 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lord, let us put on you, let us put on the Holy Spirit, but Father, let the word of God saturate our lives, give us a greater burden and a greater passion um, for you and to know you Not through other books, but through the Word of God, dear Lord. In Jesus' name that we pray, Amen. We can all stand this morning. And the altars are open if God is moving and the Holy Spirit is moving as He always is.